Welcome to Toast the Lavender Podcast. My name is Kai, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm going to be hosting today. And joining me today are Lisa, Lindsay, and Alex. Per use. Per use. They all use she, her pronouns at this time, and we are going to introduce our beers that we're drinking right now. And the beer that I am drinking... Before we go into these big bad boys that we're all sharing is a Pikes Peak Brewing from Colorado. It's a gold Belgian style strong. It's 8.7%, which is the first time I have looked at what the oh, percentage wait. of this beer is. So oh, glad you had a little food before cheers to your host this evening, friends. Glad you had some <laughs> vegan pull-aparts there. Let's turn the time over to Sister Lisa. <laughs> Sister Lisa. What are you drinking? We're gonna, let's talk yeah. about this wasp nest. So first. we're we're all sharing this wasp nest beer from Deschutes that came from Bend, Oregon on a epic road trip that Lindsay and Alex took in 2018. Yeah. So it's kind of an aged. It's, it's a from a special aged. Thing. I think it was so it says it's it was bottled on March 23rd of 2018. And the description says it's a Belgian style double. I say dubel. <laughs> Duble? Is, oh, it, a is it a double? Is it's that what it comes down to? D-U-B-B-E-L. I don't know. Oh, we do like double, beer, but I don't double. say a lot of these words out loud. I like Dublé. We need to go to That's Ireland something. to no, get our beer no, selves together. Germany. Right. So, yeah, we need to go to Germany. Mm-hmm. Belgian style Dubel. Dubel. Mm-hmm. With figs aged in Pinot casks with bretomyces. Okay. It's delicious. I must say, I'm a fan of barrel aged anything, and I. You I are like, a big barrel aged fan, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And Which I like dark sours. Really interesting because I feel like when we first met, you didn't like barrel aged anything. Yeah. That's true. I don't think I had really had much barrel aged back then. It was the the barrel aged beers that we all had together when we first met were the mostly the big bad Baptiste. And she does not like I don't stouts. like stouts. But she yeah, likes barrel-aged, okay. like, sours and, like, gotcha. Belgians. And, but I feel okay. like those first ones were stouty. If it's too stouty. chocolatey, I can't do it. And those she are all, like, liquid Liquid, like, over-the-top roasty. delicious, It's though. just, like, too it's really rich. Okay. Wash-nesh. I really like the label on this. Which you can like see on our Instagram. I just posted a photo, mm, which well, by the time really you listen to this, tasty. will be a weeks couple weeks away. ago. <laughs> yeah, well, but just yes. scroll That's back. Fine. That's the beauty scroll of the back. feed. Um, it is a great label, though. It's a wasp next to a fig um, in gray tones. But um, I can't remember what else we bought there when we were there, but this is very delicious. What do you think you would rate it? Alex. Yeah, what are um, we what are we doing as a We're doing a collective Everybody yeah, has to give like their rating. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll do an average. It's not as tart as I want it to be. I wonder if it's because we've Do had you it. like figs? Perhaps. Um I can't say that I've ever had a fig. What about like a fig Newton? 
Oh, for sure. Okay. I, I love that. fig newtons. Yeah, but, but, that's what the fi- but that's what the filling is. It's a fig. Yeah, it's, but it's not a fresh like, fig. No. It's like a raisin it's, fig. It's like a sweeter version. There's corn a lot of sugar. Syrup. Yeah. And then raisins. That's a nice fig. thing to point to if you haven't had it, though. Like, that's like probably the closest. Okay. Yeah. That anybody could really, if you haven't just like gone out and buy yourself a fig at We're the grocery get, store. So, Costco has figs right now. We'll do mm-hmm. a fig tasting. I would love to try some real ass figs. Let's do it. Okay. Don't, don't you usually kind of pair them with. Cheeses, yeah, balsamic, salty and vinegary, yeah, yeah, yeah. for Let's sure. Do that. Let's be try. It. Yeah, all right, we'll do it. We'll my, report back. My other experience was at the what brewery was that? Oh, Ballast Point, Ballast Point, oh, right. in yeah. San Diego. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the balsamic yeah. fig. They're yes, experimental the fig balsamic victory at sea. So it was like a really dark porter. And I like that victory at sea. Did you like that particular beer or not so much? I I didn't like the regular one as much. Okay. But you liked the fig variety. We went there and like did these tasters and got completely wasted. And -hmm. they had one that was an al pastor. So it was like pineapple and chipotle or something. Mm. And then they had the fig and balsamic. And we tried to go back. So much better. Like, I liked it so much better. Yeah. We tried to go back and get it. And like two days already... later, we wanted a crowler of it and they were out. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the beauty of that experimental brewery is it's always. They turn like shit. Always, yeah. yeah. Like they're like, we're making one. <laughs> it was really good. Keg of this. And then yeah. we're moving on. My rating for this. I don't know. Like a four. Mm. Okay. 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 I'm going to give it a three and a half. It's really good, but it's not as like wow, punyon as it usually, like it's not as punyon as I'm used to like the brewery Turo or like, it's not quite as like in my face as what I was expecting from a barrel aged beer. What percentage is this? Did we... It's like nine. nine. nine okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 4.25. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I wow. stand behind that. Okay, I really no, like I, it. I, uh, cheers to you. Well, well there's give it. I like plenty we've of all. Uh, it's had fruity. A bit, a bit of a different uh, mm-hmm. experience with it. I just yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not boozy. There's a lot of oak. It's very oaky. I could um, drink that whole thing myself. No, you couldn't. I could. Oh my god! What's the I'm almost done again? with my taster. Nine. Nine point one. Um, I I'm gonna go with Lisa there on okay. that one. Four point two five. Wow. Okay, I respect everyone's opinions. I'm sorry I dragged the group down into a lower category, but I was just being no. It's okay. not very complex. Opinion. I mean, I can yeah. understand. It's very simple. But I kind of like it because of that. Yeah. Fair enough. So, are you logging our untapped score? Four. So oh, the average, average. Yeah, we're doing that's an average. what we did last that's what week. We decided oh. how we were going to do it. Yeah. So our average, we were going to do no ratings, but then we like started doing an average of what the okay. group is, which I think is more reflective. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. So our average is four. Okay. Well, I'm. Ra- I am correct. I feel like that's I'm fair. the rightest yeah. one. Then <laughs> I'm the rightest <laughs> one here. Okay. What's our other one we're drinking? All right. This one is a. It's called Strange Country. It's from Bow and Arrow Brewing, and um, you've heard us talk about Albuquerque, them before. New Mexico. Awesome. 
We love it's them. a barrel aged dark sour ale. And it's aged in used whiskey barrels with Bretomyces, Lactobacillus, and Pediococcus. Oh boy. So these barrels Ooh. that it was hosted in have already probably had whiskey in them. Okay, so so yeah, it's gonna be. I hope it's gonna be delicious. I'm about to try it. All right, cheers, everybody. Did I say this? Cheers. Style? No, let's do a little cheers. Little cheers. Uh, a sour, a dark sour. Dark sour. Ooh, I'm excited. Woo. Ooh, see. I like that better. That's what I was going. I like that it's better. More, uh, that's the yeah. That's full. what I wanted. Yep. It's like hits you on every part of your tongue. It's good. It's really good. So I want to hear your rating first this time. I'm I am a really big fan of dark sour beers, and then barrel age it, and I think you're just gonna get a delightful beer. And I would give this a four and a half. Yeah. Mm. I'm in a second that it's four and a half for me as well. It's really good. Okay, I'll do the same. Four and a half? Yeah. It's very smooth while still being like a sour, dark beer. But it's not like... I don't know. It doesn't... It's really good. It's smooth. It's smooth still. All right, I'm I'm gonna also go with four and a half. Okay, no so, math required. No math required. Today's topic is W Path in all caps W P A T H, the path to pathologizing. So b- before we get started, I'd like to ask everybody here what your understanding of pathologizing is. Pathology is how the body works. So anatomy is like what makes up the body and pathology is how it all works. Okay. I don't know. Or it's disease of the body. It's disease of the it's body. Dis- physiology is how it works. Pathology is disease of the body. Okay. I never had any of those classes. Alex, you I have all anything of them, like, to add? hundred years ago. I did take an anatomy class in high school. That's all I have to offer to this. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So I have two definitions that I found while researching my topic that I felt like I wanted to share. The first one is pathologizing is the practice of seeing a symptom as indication of disease or disorder. Right. Or the treatment of a health or behavior condition as if it were a medical condition. So it's like you lost your taste and smell and you have a fever. So like perhaps you have COVID. Yeah. Sure. So the That's symptoms are like the pathology of the disease. Of the disease. Yes. Like, okay. Yes. All right. So today we're going to trace the path of W path, which stands for the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, which if you're a regular listener, we talked about WPATH briefly in episode nine of Compton Cafe Riot. And that brief touch on that made me feel like I wanted to do a bit more of a deep dive into the subject. 
So, according to their site, and I'm reading this verbatim off of their website, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, which we will refer to as WPATH going forward, formerly known as the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Association. That's a mouthful. Is a mouthful. Say that three times fast. I won't do that. It is a 501c3 nonprofit, interdisciplinary professional and educational organization devoted to transgender health. Our professional supporting and student members engage in clinical and academic research to develop evidence-based medicine and strive to promote a high quality of care for transsexual, transgender, and gender non-conforming individuals internationally. We are funded primarily through the support of our membership and through donations and grants sponsored by non-commercial sources. According to their website, their mission statement is to promote evidence-based care, education, research, public policy, and respect in transgender health. My intent of this episode today is to trace over what got us to this point of where what established WPATH as it is now, and also to acknowledge that although it was generally meant with the best of intent, pathologization in itself is guilty of framing the individual or the illness as the problem that doesn't fit in to society rather than our society does not accept and make space for individuals that don't conform to what society has set out straight. So... Just to give everybody kind of right. the background of how I'm going into this episode. So, my a, a note that I have here is like, although it's generally meant with the best of intent, pathologization often frames the individual or the illness as the problem and not society, which categorizes that problem as an illness in the first place. So... Today my focus is on the path that established what is now today known as WPATH. And there are a lot of individuals and organizations and scientists and doctors that have been a part of establishing what it is today, but I've broken it down into what the the key players are in my mind. So just take that as a disclaimer. Um, I'm going to start with Magnus Hirschfeld, which was a pivotal figure in the political history of sexuality and gender. He was born in 1868 in Prussia yeah, and earned a degree in medicine from the University of Berlin in 1892. His most important contribution to studying sexuality and gender was his concept of sexual intermediaries, which is the idea 
that every human being is made up of a unique set of sex characteristics and because of those sex characteristics has different ideas of how things should be and how they should act and what their roles are and the idea that this is sort of intrinsic. Um, according to his framework, there were more than 43 million combinations of characteristics, which translates to 43 million unique genders, if you will. That's really intense. That's a lot. It is, but it's very... But I can believe that there are like 43 million different Combinations of characteristical... Right. right. Listen up, America. That makes sense. So to me, this is like... To me, disclaimer, everybody, this means that like gender is a construct and we're all acting in the ways that we feel is most aligned with our internal sense of self. Well, but hopefully really, you are. <laughs> or you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully you are. Or maybe not. Hopefully, maybe you want to be outside of the barrier. Maybe you don't want, but like, well, this is just happy. to say that, yes, that's exactly right. Be, hopefully be you're happy. You be who you are. There are so many unique chromosomes and experiences and, biology aspects that factor into how you are as a human being that it's just how is anyone ever going to categorize it in one category it's not possible so what's the basis of 43 million how do you come up with sort of that it it was a permutation so it was a so he was very much a researcher and studied, did a lot of ethnographies on people within the transgender and trans transsexual as it was known at that time and I'm just gay imagining how he got in got in there. Like and uh, I there we could probably go down a whole deep dive of I'm how sure he got in there. But I'm just thinking about him like knocking on some door that's not a door it's actually a bookshelf and then like they open it up and to a whole new world of <laughs> like, to a lab. you don't even know that's possible okay so just hold your hat just hold <laughs> right, okay. your hat <laughs> just, yeah. so if i i've done i've really tried really hard to make these notes very accessible and I have a lot of pictures and a lot of things that I would love to share. So if you are a Patreon member, you'll have access to our notes and you can see photos of all these people and links and things like that for $2 a month or yeah, $2 a month. And you'll get stickers. Yeah. So Hirschfeld believed that sexuality was innate and a part of our biology, which I kind of already mentioned before. And he went on to found the Institute for Sexual Science in Berlin in 1919. In 1928, he became, he, well, okay, I want to do a quick pause because this isn't in my notes, but I feel like this is worth mentioning. Um, he was a member of Sigmund Freud's Human Sexuality Coalition or whatever his, like, they were. He was involved. In he that. was involved in that. Yes, yes. And he went on to found the Institute for Sexual Science in Berlin in 1919. 
And then in 1928, he became the founding president of the World League of Sexual Reform. And in both of these roles, he worked with government bodies to end harassment of queer and trans people on the streets, like helping with policies of how to deal with, how to deal, in quotation marks, with people. Um, and he was also doing an intense amount of research, which led to him amassing the world's largest library of queer research. Do you feel like he was an ally? Yes, he was. I absolutely feel like he was an ally. I I didn't know the guy. I wasn't friends with him. But, like, everything I've read about him, he is regarded very warmly. He was an ally. He was very into helping people. He actually got his start with... um, uh, I can't gerontology, or I think gerontology mm-hmm. is the word for it. But he was he was administering hormones to Older adults people? who had kind of lost their sex drive, which I find to be a very interesting side note because, like, I feel like I'm I have a lot of friendships in those adult, like I'm like on neck and neck on what I'm going through with those adult males who are like taking testosterone to peak their libido where I'm like taking it to like masculinize. But, um, it's very interesting to have discussions with these people who are like 40 between 40 and 50. And I have a lot, like, it's not just like one or two. Like we have a lot of friends that are in this category right now. So just, just kind of an interesting to that. What's, Do people like what's talk the condition? about this? Because I, I feel yeah, like it's low libido. It's like low you key, can't get it low up. Tea. It's not just that. It's like it affects a lot of different oh. things. Sleepless, like, like you don't I'm sleep tired. well when you go to bed. I, you you like feel exhausted all the time. You don't have a sexual drive. It's you, the same as if you're like estrogen or your irons off as a woman. Like you just aren't. You just well, I'm don't tired function all the time. well. You're just low mean? balance. Maybe you, you need mean, some tea. Do you want me to for real though? You maybe I don't. I don't know about that. <laughs> it, it's just or like e? trying to I, regulate I what the normal level of hormones should be for a person in this age group. And people don't realize that hormones affect way more than just your sex drive. They affect like depression and anxiety getting out of bed in the morning your brain whether you want to punch me in the face whether like you've been hit by a bus yeah like your weight like your metabolism irritability like there are so many things that go into it that people don't realize hormones literally regulate everything in your body yes (laughs) maxfield hirschfield was amassing the world's largest library of queer research in berlin which was apparently the gay mecca. Which yes. kind of was a gay mecca, yeah. and they and like German doctors were experimenting with hormones, endocrinology, um, which cocaine. I'm sure cocaine, and also cocaine. I I I also feel like it's worth mes- mentioning that a lot of this research came from not. Good means, and it's really shitty. And it's it also came Berlin from experimenting <laughs> on people that it, it's horrible. It really is. But I just want to 
give that preliminary information before I continue on. Um, and unfortunately, although he was a pioneer for transgender folks, admini- administering hormones, assigning hormones, helping people find resources to get surgeries and hormones and things, his institute and all of the research that he had done for all years prior came to an abrupt end in 1933 when fascist Nazis denounced Hirschfeld as a medical doctor who had graduated from the University of Berlin and burnt his institute to the ground and all the research and books and all of this unique information, which today we all think, oh, internet, well, it's fine. It's all in the cloud. This literally set back where we are today, the hundreds of miles. Like I, I, we don't even know the impact that this created by all of this research and information by someone who was legitimately interested in human sexuality and it it's just gone it's just erased and wiped from the record it's really tragic honestly because it it's hard to say where we would be today if we still had back then this. you can just make a copy and ship it over it email to somebody or whatever like yep. it, but this it, it was gone yeah it's gone and um fucking nazis there just just a, a bit of a disclaimer um there's some there's a lot icky, of there's some icky photos. I I wanted to be representative. I wanted to show what there was to show and like but if you don't want to look at our Patreon because of the photos of this, it's fine. There's a photo of Nazis burning books. It's it could be triggering. Just You can so also watch knows. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and you'll see a bunch of Nazis burning books. Yeah. It's and it's fictionalized, but it's real enough that you'll get it. Yes. So, a close colleague of Maxfield Hirschfield's was what none a name, other. By the way, I know it's been hard for me to. <laughs> Can we call him Max Hirsch? Max Can Hirsch. We just call M. Him Hirsch. Max? Maybe his name is Max. Uh, maybe I added the Maxfield. I don't know. Max Hirschfield. <laughs> Maxwell. I think M-H. it's Maxwell Hirschfield. Um, Max. I like Maxfield. Max Hirsch is better. Okay, so Max Hirsch, Max H. a close colleague of Max Hirsch's, was none other than Harry Benjamin. I don't know if anyone here ah. has heard of Harry Benjamin. Well, you said that there was a Harold Benjamin, but et cetera, et cetera. Oh, the name of that organization. Of the whatever. Yes. Harold yes, Benjamin. Yes, yes. So, Harold, Harry <laughs> Benjamin was a German-born doctor. Who HB. joined up with Hirschfeld because of his interest in human sexuality. He was a young student who was kind of accompanying Max Hirschfeld while he was going to like gay bars and such in Berlin. Do you think as he was gay? Study. Yes, they were both gay. Yes, they were both How gay. do you just walk into uh, a gay bar and you're like, sorry, I'm doing a research. They were both hey, gay, I'm but it was very research. much like we're doing a research project. We're but yes. doctors. Yes. Yeah. They I, I mean, I get on. that, but 
I'm glad that it wasn't like, no, they were both totally straight. Everything's cool. Mm-hmm. They're just like walking in with a clipboard. Just just checking in. They're walking into the gay bar and they're like, okay, there's like 800 men here and there's I want to know what people wore back women then here. to the gay bar. Well, you should look at the photos that I've attached to If the, you want to sign up for Patreon. I, no, I haven't detailed every single thing, but it, it does kind of give you a a key and right. visuals to this world. But so Harry Benjamin, he wrote and researched a book called Die Transvestitism, which was published in 1910. So it, and he was pause, in Berlin. And he was not die. Die. D. Well, which in German, D I E is the in German. Right. Just so you know. So okay. it's not. It's not, okay. it's not like okay. It's not, I'm glad you pointed that. Honey, that I, I yeah, was a yeah. little. I don't know. Yeah, I was a little yeah, disturbed yeah. by that, okay. but I don't know. Like so, because he's called, revered as like a good. It's called can, the transvestite. Okay, is the so name of the book. This is, can we call someone that we know that speaks German? I took to make sure that six I years of like German. I trust Lisa's years. opinion. Yes. yes. So die. D I E is the D. Okay. Not die. You don't pronounce it die. D. Okay. Well, now we know. The Transvestite, which was published in 1910. <laughs> it's not that extreme. And no hate crimes happening here he, today. He came to the U.S. in 1913 and established a medical practice. And he was certainly involved with like. Like, he was sort of a prisoner of war for a minute when he was trying to get to the Americas because this was when Nazism was starting to become a thing. So, so he would, like, travel back to, like, visit his workers okay. and colleagues, other endocrinologists, other, like, go back to Germany Scientists, to visit with yeah. these people. And then, like, at, at a certain point, it became impossible for him to continue visiting them because he was literally risking, like... Risking his life when Nazism came to rise. I cannot imagine that you can just like roll into Nazi Germany to chat with your scientists with buddies your and like roll right out. Yeah. Yeah. So it became. So he came to the US in 1913, established his own medical practice, and then he, he really became a pip- pivotal figure in shifting them the. Moral perspective of like transsexuality in the U.S. and Harry Benjamin became the state's leading medical authority on transsexuality in the 1950s, and this was much due to his experience in hormone therapy with patients who were cis and could not like reach. What their like felt like they were lacking in hormones, so like an adult male who specifically could not function sexually anymore. So the belief was that if you up the hormones, it'll up your libido, and that will help your body fix your deficiency. In the 1950s, Christine Jorgensen. Transitioned, which made national headlines, and 
it was European, it was Dutch, it was sensational for sure. And so, there was kind of a wanting to like be on par with the science that was able to perform her transition. Can I ask a quick question? Yes. So Christine Jorgensen um was a like American GI person in the some odd war or was just in the military. Mm-hmm. And had to go overseas. For her, at that time, sex change operation. Yes. Surgery. Yes. And then came back and was like a tiny celebrity. Yes. Because this is like a medical miracle. This and is absolutely possible. it's interesting that she was a tiny celebrity because now you see how trans women are viewed through the narrative of the media now and it's not. Well, it wasn't, like, a cultural thing back then. I, I don't know. I haven't, like, read a lot about... It was um, probably an anomaly. Like It, it was yeah, an anomaly, it was, for yeah. sure. We don't, know, we don't was, even know how to handle this, so we're going to talk about it. It was viewed as, like, look at, like, what science is able to do and, like, yes. what medicine is able to do. Instead yes. of this, like, look at these menaces to society. Right. Look at these spooky people that don't belong in our culture, what have you. Right. It's the Christine. I feel like we should again. We should do a whole episode. We should do an episode about her and her whole journey. Um, but Harry Benjamin privately prescribed through his clinic hormone prescriptions to hundreds of transsexual patients, um, as well as no, as well as helping arrange genital surgeries, genital recon, you know. Whatever, just reconstructing genital surgeries to many patients. But clearly not as many as hormones, and we all, like, even to now, many people do hormone replacement therapy in their transitions and choose not to do genital reconstruction surgeries, and that is very valid. Um, I just wanted to mention this. Uh, one of Harry Benjamin's most notable patients who he helped transition and provide some of these medical documentations for was Reed Erickson. And Reed Erickson was the son of a large lead smelting company in Texas. They made like bleachers for high school stadiums and things like lead? that out of lead. Oh, yes. Great. So <laughs> does it, that explain Texas? So probably, far? probably. But then their business relocated to Louisiana, so I don't know. But also explains Louisiana. <laughs> Shout out uh, to Louisiana cheers. and. Cheers a non shout out to Texas because fuck God you for it. your abortion fuck that. especially yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. So Reed Erickson was the first of his class in Texas to graduate from a high engineering program. And at that time he was a female. So he was the first female 
to graduate with an engineering degree from this university in Texas. How juicy. It's pretty mm-hmm. juicy. What year was this? Um, I don't know. In the 50s. Yeah. Or something. Sounds about right. And in 1963, Reed Erickson became a patient of Harry Benjamin and began medically transitioning from a female-born person to a male. And Dr. Harry Benjamin was administering his hormones, um, helping him get arranged for the appropriate surgeries and things. And this is in 1963, so... As I mentioned before, was the son of a large lead-smelting company, and when his father died in 1962, which was a year prior to him becoming a patient of Harry Benjamin, Reed inherited the family business, which was already worth a bunch of money, and he was a very smart businessman and ran the business quite well, bought himself multiple properties, one in Mexico that he called the Lovejoy Palace, one in... Lovejoy, nice. Sounds like a Prince album. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, really just, like, took, set himself up well, but also was extremely interested in philanthropy and learning about other... others and other species and giving money to other organizations that he believed in furthering. Can I ask a quick question? Yes. Um, so I feel like you need a buzzer. Um, <laughs> so he had access to medical professionals and like, because of his medicines money. and surgery because of his money. Yes. Like he knew, like and many people probably didn't know about Harry Benjamin, but Reed Erickson was a very privileged young person that had a lot of money. Yes. And there probably aren't a lot of like people in the 1960s that just read the newspaper once a week that understand like medical advances and for sure know the vocabulary of. Whatever. Yes. Absolutely. Got it. So another, Reed Erickson was quite an eccentric person. Um, Are there pictures of Reed Erickson? Yes, and there are. Great. This particular picture that I want to discuss is his best friend, Henry. Which, in many journalistic interviews and such, people assumed that Henry was, like, his boyfriend or lover. Henry was a leopard. Literally a leopard. And Reed would, like, board flights (laughs) with his pet. Yes, a leopard. Wait, why do people think it was his lover? Because, like, if you go interview this person and he's talking about talking Henry about all Henry. the time, Henry's his best friend. It's a leopard. Here's it's a, a photo for everyone to see. <laughs> Here's Reed and Henry oh. together. It's his pet. It it was his pet. It was his best friend. Like, Henry oh. was, like, his everything. And he, like, before the times of having an emotional service animal or whatever, like, 
Henry was known to board flights with Reed. Henry was his emotional support animal. Yeah. So a leopard. Kind of interesting. Um, but as I mentioned before, Reed had a lot of money. And it was his money that funded the EEF, Erickson Education Fund, which developed a series of pamphlets for the transsexual community detailing things like how to legally change your name or how to navigate your way into finding a competent surgeon to help you execute a surgery that you might need. Um, it was also Erickson's money that funded Benjamin's, Harry Benjamin's book, The Transsexual Phenomenon, which was published in 1966 while Harry Benjamin was in his 80s. 80s. Which just goes to give you a bit of a character analysis of, of Harry Benjamin. I mean... He was still, he died at 101 years old. Whoa. And he was still just working away into his 80s. So it's. So. Okay. So Reed was, so Reed, was Reed given the family estate before or after transitioning? He was, he. I think that he was still like kind of the daughter because as far as I've gathered, he started consulting with Harry Benjamin one year after After. his father's death. So he, but he became the heir to the family business and probably because he was an only child or, or maybe like just like showing the most, I don't know. I, I don't really know, but okay. he was he was the the single heir I to inherit like it's the even family company. Kind of wild to think about a woman inheriting a family company in the sixties. Yeah, and I don't know Let how much his family man. knew. I don't know how much his family knew about okay. his identity. I don't. I don't. Have the, any did he so. have siblings? I I also don't know that. I Do know we know that anything he about became, his love life? Yes, he was married Aside from Henry. Well, yes, Henry, Henry was, and Lucky. Henry was cited all, all the time in everything. Like Henry was the love of his life, and <laughs> I get that it. Get the it. love of my life. I get we it. We all get it. We all are dog people, animal people, cat people, whatever. But like, he did have. There was some lead into saying that he was. Um, if Reed was ever married or. Oh yes, yes, yes. Reed was married, um, twice. And there are. To men or women. Women. And there are photos of both of his weddings that you can find on the interweb. I think my question was about siblings, but. Siblings I don't know about, but he was married twice. He was married to two different women. So maybe started out as lesbian in transition. Oh yes, absolutely. And okay. that's not even a that's not even a question. Like if you research Reed, you will find out that he like for sure was a lesbian. He was an active lesbian who then 
transitioned into a male, and he when he transitioned, he was forty three years old. Like it was. Did he get remarried as as Reed? Yes, I think both of his marriages were after his transition. Oh, okay. Both of his marriages were after while he was a male. Yes, both of his marriages were after. So the transsexual phenomenon by Harry Benjamin was published in 1966, and Harry Benjamin was in his 80s. The text is notable for its examination of transsexualism as not a psychological issue, but rather a somatic disorder that should be treated through medicine. Which, I just want to take a moment for us all to digest that, because... It's there's a good thing that it's not being treated as a psychological issue. Like I'm not a fucking lunatic, but instead should be treated as a medical issue. I don't. That's that's where the problem comes in. It, it's not. Well, let's, you said somatic, and I don't know what that word means. What's a somatic well, issue? Can we Google it? While we're Googling it, can I do a confession? Yes. Um, so it was like, I don't know, quite a while ago. I remember that I felt like very progressive about trans issues, but I know that I thought about it as like a, like, psychological thing and then like if the fix is surgery then why aren't we just like allowing people to have surgery and why are we like putting up barriers about this I'm glad you're bringing this up and like I felt like I was very open minded about it but I understand now that it's not entirely like I don't know. It's not the full picture of what being trans is. And it's not, um, I don't know. I, I'm really glad that you're bringing this up because I feel like as I've done my research for this episode, I've been triggered in both ways because I also thought of myself once upon a time as that person that was like, Yes, I'm progressive and I'm supportive of trans issues and I want, but like the problem is is that we're making trans an issue. And that is kind of mind-blowing. Like how do you the problem is is that that our society sees being trans it, this goes back to our matrix episode. Like I don't it's so perfectly tied into that that I don't even know how to It's hard though because it's like as a trans person, you do have to be treated medically for you to feel like yourself, right? If you don't have your shot every Monday, you don't feel like yourself. Yes, but I, I and I agree with you 100%, but I'm going to stop you right there because I'm going to say that the reason that my brain creates this narrative of what should be for me it's all structural, it's all structural and societal. For sure, because gender is a construct, but, like, let's talk about physical things. Like, how happy do you feel when your mustache grows in 
thicker or your leg hair grows thicker. And you would not be able to do that without medical intervention. And I agree with you 100%, but I have to, I have to go back so many steps and say, would I have ever wanted medical intervention if society didn't sort of plant? That's what this this whole argument is. Like if society didn't plant this in my head that like, I needed to be this or that, and I clearly didn't fit this, so I wanted to be that. But that's the world you live in. Like, you can't go back. Like, there's no way to go back. Like, you, there's no option for you to live in a world where gender isn't a construct. It just is. But, but I disagree with you because this is the whole argument of pathologization, is that we've made a whole medical system based on trans or non-trans, trans or cis, and, like... Our society has constructed that entire system of what trans and cis is. And so if if our society did not have this construct, would we maybe just be able to exist a little more peacefully as we are without feeling well, the yeah. need to you could be one of the forty three million genders that just <laughs> Right. And that's what I'm saying. That's that is exactly what I'm saying. Like if our society hadn't already created this model of where we should safely exist then there would be so many variants that didn't feel the need to change or didn't feel the need to adapt or didn't feel the need to do some other thing to sort of like be a part of this binary model. That's all I'm getting at. I I understand what yeah. you're saying where it's like, if you weren't born as the person that's supposed to like have babies and clean the house after your parents give you away in marriage. Yes then, like, maybe you don't feel like you need to do this very specific thing in order to feel like an authentic person. And you can just, like, be whatever you're... whatever you feel comfortable as being. And I'm envisioning a world where... because I am the first to say that, like, this whole transition process has been an extreme journey for me. And it's been a very much like, I didn't know I wanted to take hormones and I didn't know I want, like it's all been a step-by-step thing. But like, had I known like completely outside of the perspective, like not being involved in the day-to-day life and just like looking in on this, like maybe there's a world where there's like, a person who has a feminine body who's still like where bodies and what your structure role is aren't the same. Like it, that's what I'm trying to get right. at is that our, like our society, yes, that our society has constructed help. this entire model that we can't even like extract ourselves from in a certain so way. So do you see yourself as your transness being more mental or physical? Do you think it's biological or do you think it's... I absolutely think it's biological. I absolutely think my transness is biological and I don't... I want to go on record saying that. I don't feel like there's any other way to say that. However, I do want to say that if the biological model was shifted a bit of like how things are being viewed, then it might not pressure people so much to fill the need like... You might not feel the need, and I don't know. I don't live in that world. I did what I needed to do in the world that I lived in, and I don't regret that choice. I'm very thankful for what I did 
in the world that I lived in. But if you lived in a worldview that was a little looser, that was like, you can take on whatever, like society hasn't already established a structure for what you are to be as whatever gender so maybe person like you are in your brain. You don't have like the types of dysphoria that yes. 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 A yes. Lot of people Can we do. go to the definition? So somatic yes. is relating to the body, especially as distinct from the mind. And so, read the quote again. So the text is notable for its, and we're again, we're talking about the transsexual phenomenon, which was published by Harry Benjamin in 1966. The text is notable for its examination of transsexual, transsexualism, not as a psychological issue, but rather as a somatic disorder that should be treated through medicine. And okay. somatic again yeah. was separated from the mind. So it's a biological thing. So it's like your body, it's not your mind. Well, which in my are- mind, Seeing transsexualism, it's now not called that. That's an outdated term. But seeing transness and um, homosexuality through a biological lens, to me, (laughs) where are you? Like, why are you not seeing it through a biological lens? Well, and our doctor literally says, oh, you have an endocrine disorder, Kai, your T... Is lower than what it should be, but it's because I have Instead a progressive of, doctor. You don't have the right. Like he is seeing it through it. a yeah. very yeah. biological lens, and like when he said that at your first appointment, I was blown away. And I again, I agree with you. I was also blown away. But the the flip side of this that's kind of icky that we that my whole point in sharing this episode is that pathologization is not always good. Because if you think about uh, people that have more barriers than me, which are many people, people that have a race barrier, people that have any sort of privilege barrier whatsoever that can't get all these steps and all these things that they need in order to be according to the W path standards so that they can get prescribed to either have surgery or hormones, but they can't even get to that level because they have so many other barriers in front of them that that, that they'll just never get there. That's why I asked earlier about the people in your life that you know that get T injections because they like can't sleep. Well, and men don't talk about this. Yeah, I would that's not the have other known. thing. It's like, I don't know that women talk about getting hormone well, therapy my either. My point is just how easy it is for a man to get tea. Just like pop into the doctor's but I gotta office like, and say like... Right? But like my all, the, work. Yeah. all the things that Kai had to go through. Yeah. Just for that. And they just like fucking throw it out like it's like yeah. a and you pioneer day I parade brought, i brought my i brought a whole pamphlet of paperwork that i was given like i i wanted to bring some of this as like it's not easy it's fucking hard and we it sucks. remember hearing about all the different like appointments that you had to have and all the different things that you and had I to feel go like through. I'm privileged like I know yeah. I'm privileged yeah. I know that I it was it was 10 times easier for me than it would have been for a transmasculine person of color like I it, I just 
I can't well, even. Well, we had an ally on our side from our insurance company. Who we had an insurance ally. We had a legal ally. Like we had so many allies on our side that helped us get through this process. Harry Benjamin's model of treatment for transsexual pa- patients is still the basic paradigm for transsexual med- medical care, which. We were just talking about. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting that this person who was born in 1892 is still the model. The model, but he also was very he was known as a very like compassionate, loving and like understanding and like going out of his way all the time to administer hormones to patients that needed them and referring patients to surgeries. He's very well respected within the transgender community, but there is also um, a bit of um, rejection among trans scholars and researchers about just the general pathologizing and ultimately patronizing effects of medicalizing trans issues. So Harry Benjamin's model of treatment for transsexual patients is still the basic paradigm for transsexual medical care. In honor of Harry Benjamin, the group of doctors, therapists, and other medical professionals who treat transsexual patients they decided to name their organization the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Association which is a quite a mouthful is there an acronym H G I H H B I G D A Harry Benjamin Institute Gender Dysphoria Association <laughs> no we're not going to let's that. put it on a hat So they also adopted the Harry Benjamin standards of care, which initially incorporated in 1979, the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Association was established in 1979. That was the year that they took on that name and the Harry Benjamin standards of care. Okay. And then... 79? 1979. Okay. Yes. And... That's like almost in our lifetimes. It is. It's not that far away. And it was 10 years... It was... And he was born in 19... 18 something? 18... God, he was old No, no, no. Sorry. No, not... That was Magnus. 90 something. He was... Hold on. 1898. Sorry, I asked a hard Was question. he 80-something or 90-something when this happened? Yeah, he, he was... I don't know, fuck. I'm sorry, I can't find the date, but he was he was born in the, eight, the like late he, 1800s. Okay, I thought it was like 1913 when he like hooked up with Magnus. Yes, it was 1913 when he hooked up with okay. Magnus. So he was born so, in like 1886, I want to say. Okay. So Magnus, early. not Max? Hirschfeld. Magnus Hirschfeld. Max She's got the Field. right name. Magnus. Maxfield. We've been calling him Maxfield. Maxwell. Doesn't matter. Magnus. Maxwell House. Okay. So. Okay. So, but from eighteen, let's say eighteen ninety, he was born, and then in 
1979. He started following. So he Magnus was like 80 the, to 90 at this time. When well, the, he like, was 80 when the book was published in 66. He was in his Good 80s. God. Okay. He lived to be 101. So in so 1979, the, when this institute was incorporated, he was a in his 90s. Do you think he was like fully involved in this? Yes, he was. That's the thing. Jesus like this person Christ. was very much just like. Did Super he not involved. Retire ever? I don't think so. like he was very involved until like he didn't retire the end in of the his 70s. life. Seventies. I don't know. If I was ninety years old and I wasn't retired for forty years, wait. <laughs> if I wasn't retired for thirty years, I'd be really upset. He's just like. Just so okay. So the Harry Benjamin standards of care. Became known as the standards of care. Okay. So they dropped to the Harry Benjamin and they changed the Harry Benjamin Institute International Gender Dysphoria Association <laughs> to WPATH. They're like, he's dead. He won't notice. His name's not on it. Well, oh, there were there were no there were some political things that I'm it was like, I I'm I have a short episode okay, I'm not going to go into all that but they changed the name from that he disgraced the family to no he changed Sorry. the name to the World Professional Association for Transgender Health when and that that After change yes that change okay. was made in. 2007 i oh want to say like it's not it's fairly recent like less than 10 years ago yes yeah. it's very fairly recent that they changed that over what to year that. is it okay so it wasn't this exact man that no he was that's passed okay. away it feels it was like it. his oh legacy goodness. of his institute like a there's a board okay. yes Whatever. and they More all changed years. it over they all okay. All right. So they all adopted this new name, and then instead of being the Harry Benjamin Standards of Care, it just became the Standards of Care. Okay. So <laughs> this is where this is where things. Thanks for straightening me out there. Let's see. This is where things get a little bit tricky, as they do. Oh, they haven't been tricky in this the whole time. Well, they've all. It's felt a little tricky. It's tricky. I checked in with one of my very best friends who is a social worker and who has a master's degree in social work who is licensed to be an LCSW. And I asked, hey, like, have, have you ever heard of WPATH training? And this person's answer was, yes, I'm very familiar with WPATH training. However, I do not have it. And this person is licensed through Utah and has a master's degree. And like, I don't feel like they're incompetent in any way. I feel like so maybe like there's elective? like a miscommunication. No, I feel like maybe it's... It's not even an elective at this point. I feel like it's like a a credential that you like have to go seeking. Uh, 
So okay. they don't make it easy. I'm aware of credentials that you have to seek as an IT specialist. It that's how it came across to me. And if I'm wrong, and if any government, I, not I even government, if anybody has I some feedback, I hope that I like, hope I'm wrong, but I don't. Yeah. I don't think I am. Fucking woof. So fucking. Woof. But also that being said, I really want to go back to highlight that. The very first criteria, which is part of the standards of care, the very first criteria for almost every single thing within standards of care, which is on version 7, with version 8 to be released by December of this year. So I'm interested to see what the new standards are. But the very first criteria for hormone therapy, for surgery, for any gender-affirming care, really, is persistent, well-documented gender dysphoria. And this is where I feel like we're coming into a problem, because um, I... What counts as documentation? Is it like your journals? No, that's the problem. When I, when I myself, and here I am, I'm gonna, I just want to just put myself out there. I'm going to tell everybody my story. You don't have to. Well, I'm going to. I'm here for it. But um, I've been through all this. I've been through all the W path shit. And I, at the time, saw it as a accreditation that was like, I want to go through a W path accredited place, which... They have a lot of good things going. I don't know. I'm I to be honest, as the presenter of this episode, I'm not telling anyone to go one way or another because I feel very struck in between. Because But do you feel like it prevented you from being discriminated against? Like it gave you some sort of protection knowing that someone was seeking additional transgender or was at least aware awareness and like education. Yes, I see that, and yes. Or no. Well, yes. I'm, I'm not saying that you did that. I'm asking a question. I went to a therapist who I called and said this is because according to the WPATH standards, you, in order to have surgical treatment, you need to have a letter from a therapist that diagnoses you, like, gives you a scripted psychological diagnosis of gender dysphoria. And you're like, you left a message with this person and you're like, hello, yes. I'd like to make an appointment. Pretty much. Very specific. Pretty case. much. I, I, I very much okay. zeroed in to someone who I knew thought this was bullshit because I also thought it was bullshit and wrote me a letter Ascribing me to gender dysphoria, which is a part of my permanent medical record, which I hope that doesn't ever come back to bite me in the ass. But if something like what, like there are a lot of extermination situations that have happened in the history of ours and other countries. And that is very scary. Like I have a target over my head in the governmental paperwork out in the middle of nowhere. And we will have a very long driveway, and we'll have a lot of. Guns. We talked about this actually a couple a days ago. Okay. We'll have an electric fence. Yes, and I have I a history have though. To have a That's, like I am known, 
No, no matter, no matter that I have learned the secrets to cover up my birth certificate so that no one can find out that my birth certificate gender isn't the same as the one that was assigned when I was born. There's going to be like breadcrumbs. There are breadcrumbs. And today I had an interaction with a police officer who wanted to check in on my dead name and make sure that I was still the same person. Like, and she was a sweet, I don't know. She was, she handled it well. She handled it well. But it's out there. It's out there, and that's the thing, is it is out there heavily, and it's not, it's scary. And it's not as scary. I feel like I'm okay, but I feel like a lot of people are It's a bigger target. A lot of people are not okay. However, can we circle back to what you just said about this specific mental health care provider knew what Kai would need? And it wasn't like, well, let me tell you, like, I need this and this and this and this. She was like, oh, yeah, okay, you want surgery. This is what we're going to do. This is, you need to come to X amount of sessions. And they're like, are and, you sure that you want to do this? Okay, check. Yeah. And, and then this like, person had, met with me once and was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I understand. Yeah, this is easy. And had like a, probably like a template. Um, letter letter um, and just signed but, it. Okay. But but the problem with this is I was given a diagnosis which is a part of my permanent medical record which okay fine my permanent metal, medical record says I have diagnosed gender dysphoria disorder. So for us for now that's fine. But how could it be different though? You have to have that to have surgery. <sighs> That's this is where the this is where like the catch comes in. Like it's like you can't that might not necessarily be good. I don't necessarily want to blast myself as a target to like governmental people looking into my records and being like I I know we're where we are right now, but like yeah. if Trump was reelected, I our government no. seems a little bit mm-hmm. no, unstable. I, it's terrible. So I guess I'm I'm really at the end of what I have to present for everybody today but I want to leave like a lasting mark to say that is it me or is it our society that's wrong So for me biology and life and science is ever, ever evolving. And I can't say that there is a wrong and a right way. And I think it's stupid to like try to say that there's like a normal and an abnormal and a like. Because normal and abnormal don't exist. We're right. just living in a biological world with- where you can't put rules and in, in politics on biology. It just. Things. It becomes and is whatever it yes. is. I think it's just there are whole industries that like want to corral people into a specific yes. section. To me, being trans is to transcend what societal barriers are. To me, that's what trans is, is that I am I am transcending what the barriers of expectation that this society has placed on me are. 
And to me, and that that small little thing helps me reclaim my power, and so I will take it. But I, how old are you? I I really want this. This topic was hard for me because I feel like there are two sides to this story, and I can't tell both of them well. And I. I did seek out for my for my procedures I did seek out a WPATH certified thing and I brought my pamphlet today to share with the group of papers of what this whole fucking document of I had to go through so many documents and, sign and your paperwork life away. and sign things and say I wasn't going to do this and say I wasn't going to do that and sign all the things and read all these pamphlets and and have that, all this information and it just that is it's why just I got insane. so hung up about your friends that can just like have their wives inject them with tea and it's just like no problem they go to the doctor like, and oh like, yeah cool. i can't you got sleep a right on yeah you got a wiener right that's what it comes down to that yeah. is what it comes down to and that's exactly do they check for the wiener no they no. don't well, they it's just, just because it says m on their fucking shit or whatever and they look like a dude and does anybody know what the barrier to get m on your shit is it's a fucking bitch Right. It's a fucking bitch. I just think it's all arbitrary. And I'm privileged and I want to tell, I want to, I want to share that with the world because like not everybody has a friend who's an attorney that can help them get their shit processed through the legal system. I am privileged. When we start to dig further down into these things is, is it really like a surprise? No, it's not. It's not a surprise. Yeah. No, it's not. You're right. So, so the ending note is that our medical system and our societal structure is not realistic. It's gender is a social construct. Gender is a social construct, which therefore makes transsexualism. And I realize that that is an out-of-date term, but I'm using that to affiliate with the subject matter that I presented today, but transsexualism, transgenderism is a product of <laughs> society. It's a product of society to be able to exist safely. And like we feel the need to rebel and not be what society wants to place us in. And it's all a construct. I ha- I do have a question about your episode. Please give me a question. So your um, episode is about WPATH. Yes. And we talked about, is this like a class that someone takes or is this an accreditation? Is this like a, a one doctor takes some course or is it like one hospital takes? It's more of a, a hospital thing. So like the University of Utah is WPATH accredited. Okay. Um, so and they like have a really all good of their program. Doctors have to be aware educated. Of yes, and and this is where it gets tricky, is because I really truly re- believe in my own soul from my own research that the intent for good is there, but when you pathologize something. 
And you make a bunch of hoops you have to jump well, through. Well, yeah, you're like, yes, you when need you to have to have a therapist letter and this. when you have to have yeah. when you have to have all these things to be able to and then receive this care. It. And insurance, like it, it was a nightmare. At some point, it just was absolutely a, a nightmare. That's yeah. like, how this do you, is what like, I I'm, know I want to do. Why would I just pretend to be a trans person? Like, why would I sign up for that narrative? It sucks. It's and not right, fun. Like, it's not been a fun road and for that's me. The and it's LGBTQIA experience this whole time. Right. Where it's why like, would I why sign would I up for this way? voluntarily to be fun so I can go on this fun new adventure? It sucks. And be it's ostracized a fun new adventure. at school and be bullied and be just kept from all the normal things that make people happy. Right, and have to Why go to a I therapist when I already know what's wrong with me. Have to go to a therapist who I have it's to degrading. pay money that I don't have to go to a therapist because I don't have insurance. And this is where this is where this like privilege comes in. Like I didn't have a lot of those resources, but I was able to work them out and I was in a relationship with somebody who had a health insurance plan. And when we got married, I was able to have insurance. But like, I think about all of these people that are literally living on the street that are trans through and through who have no connections with any kind of medical care, who have no, no connections with any kind of medical mental health, Anything like that. And there are so many barriers for them that are in place because of these standards that like, unless you want to go to some shoddy place, you are not going to get the highest quality of care because you cannot show that you've done X, Y, and Z to get to the place of care that you need to go. It's not right. It's fucked up. There well, should it's stop. Like, it's gatekeeping. It's like elite universities. Right? It's elite. It's gatekeeping. It's, it's fucked up. And it's like shitty. going to Yale or Harvard or something. It's even. It's, it's, it's are like, you trans enough? Are you fucking trans enough to get care for your transness? And usually, the people that really need care are the people that literally have nothing. And I have a good supportive spouse. I have a good supportive like friend family unit who lifts me up but like there are so many people that don't even have their basic needs met and it's just devastating like you don't have food you can't get a job I've seen my friends trying to get a job and they can't even get employed for a minimum wage job it's absolutely gut-wrenching it's gut-wrenching like (laughs) we're just normal ass fucking people Anyway. Well, here we are. We're going <laughs> to wrap up this episode. My boo of the week is the asshole who hit my truck this morning. <laughs> yeah, the hit and run driver. Uh, by the way, we're going to find you. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, buddy. Thanks to Officer Bleep. <laughs> we know the make and model of your car. Unfortunately, you didn't know that you left behind a piece of your, your whole car. Wheel well. Your whole your wheel well. Your whole wheel well. Got it out on my lawn. This serial number, and we're gonna find you. We're, we're coming for you, bitch. Ogden, <laughs> up and down, and we're gonna punch you in the nuts. 
No kicking. No, punching. no punching. Double punch. It's going to be a Hands. fist. It's gonna and then I'm going to call the girl. A fist to ball contact. <laughs> and then we're going to grab and like twist. tear away. Grab, grab, grab and twist, twist and tear. tear. <laughs> and if you happen to not have balls... Then we'll think of something else. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't have balls, we'll find something equally as terrible. Like one. We would also like to tell our listeners about an event that our podcast and our zine, the LQ, will be at, which is the Yarts Hill, hosted by Audrey of Habe Fab. It's on October 2nd from 2 to 7. And we're going to we, have t-shirts for sale. Yep. We might have more merch. We're going to have our stickers there. And uh, we're, we're going to talk to people. Yep. Yep. We're going to have a little fun talky poppy. Yeah, so details like to come. It. Please join us. Please join us at we're the art cell. We really would love to see you. Thank you all for joining us today. This has been Toasted Lavender Podcast. I'm Kai, and cheers to everyone. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Things get a little bit tricky. As they do. Oh, they haven't been tricky in this the whole time. Well, they've all it's felt a little tricky. It's tricky, but there are It's tricky. We're tricky, tricky, tricky. I don't know. We're just gonna do it. Just start talking right now. Okay, so I wanna first talk about the DSM. Which is the diagnostic Statistical menu. Sexual manual. <laughs> no, it's not exact. It's the not deviant. What is the DSM? What does it stand for? Asking me, this isn't we're my on, We're on number five at this Diagnostical five. statistical yeah. manual. I Diagnos- think that's what it. Diagnostical. Diagnostic and st- not a word. Statistical manual of mental disorders. Who the fuck just said it was the diagnostical statistical manual? I thought that you said to. Testicular. Okay, so I checked in. This is where this is interesting. So everybody reel it in. I got it.